Hello and welcome to episode 84 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Nathaniel Rakich. Nathaniel is a writer whose work has appeared in the Hardball Times, 538, and at Fangraphs. He runs the blog Base Ballot, which specializes in data-driven analysis of baseball, politics, and elections. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Base Ballot. Nathaniel, thanks for coming on the podcast again. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, before we look at the ballot, we can go up and down the ballot with your projections and my predictions, see where they differ and possibly why. I want to ask you about strategic voting. I saw you tweeted out a few weeks ago that you were happy to see more writers using a strategic ballot, but you were surprised at how bad they were at the strategic vote itself. So I'm curious uh, what an ideal strategic ballot would actually look like. A couple of years ago, I wrote a piece for my personal blog because I was just kind of frustrated by people who were taking this virtuous path of voting for the 10 best players or the 10 most worthy players when, in fact, there were, in my opinion and in many other people's opinion, you know, 13, 14, 15 people on the ballot who deserve getting in. And you would see, you saw people uh, falling off the ballot who were, uh, who were deserving. You saw people, um, you know, who were just coming up short, who maybe didn't weren't in the people's top 10. So for instance, at least for me personally, Edgar Martinez, Trevor Hoffman, and Vlad Guerrero, they're Hall of Famers, but they're not the ten among the 10 best on this stacked ballot. But I think that if you think they're Hall of Famers, you need to vote for them because this is their chance and it's only going to hurt all the candidates, including the candidates that you might prefer get in over those three Later on, if, for instance, you know, Edgar Martinez comes up a few votes shy this year or last year when Trevor Hoffman came up just a few votes shy, if you would would vote strategically and give, you know, one of your slots to those people, you can clear that ballot space and then we can get maybe to a point where there are actually fewer than 10 worthy players on the ballot in the future. And then we don't have this silly thing where deserving candidates are getting squeezed through no fault of their own. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing is just voting for players who maybe you aren't 100% sold on or who you think are, you know, maybe the 15th plus player on the ballot, but is a Hall of Famer. So somebody like Andrew Jones, somebody like Johan Santana, uh, these are people who need votes a lot more than somebody like uh, I don't know, a, you know, Kurt Schilling uh, needs votes because Kurt Schilling, he is fine. He's going to do well this year, but he's not going to get in and he's not going to drop off. So that vote is better used on somebody who's flirting with 75% or somebody who's flirting with 5%. I think that the guy who's been most affected by the strategic balloting is Manny Ramirez. That's smart because Manny is in a position where he's definitely not getting in and he's definitely not falling off the ballot. I think a lot of people have a problem with the two positive tests there as well. So Manny, not voting for Manny as your ninth or 10th spot is actually a very smart thing to do. But why people aren't going full-fledged strategic is because I do think there's an element of people want to vote for guys that get in. People want to vote for Chipper Jones. Look, Chipper Jones would be a very smart decision to not vote for if you were going full strategic. But I think the writers really like the idea that they are voting for people. They want to They go to the museum a lot. Many of them cover the inauguration. I think they want to go there and be like, I was one of the people that put him in. So I think people are hesitant to not vote for people like Jones and Tomey. What's interesting, though, is that we have seen people like Hoffman and Edgar Martinez, actually, lose a few votes, which is just baffling that someone could be so close. Hoffman was at 74%. To abandon him now is just ludicrous. What are people doing? I don't know. Yeah. No, and, and I completely agree about Chipper. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think, uh, you know, last year when you had 
uh, or I guess two years ago when you had Ken Griffey on the ballot, nobody wanted to be that one guy who might have been the one who made him not unanimous. So I totally understand that from the writers. But uh, but I think that you, when you fill out your ballot, you shouldn't start with maybe who the best player was statistically, you know, a Barry Bonds or, uh, or Chipper Jones, but you should start with, okay, who needs my vote the most? Um, and I think, you know, something that I do on the side or really kind of as my day job is in political writing. And this is something that people do in elections all the time. You know, maybe you're better aligned with, you know, the Green Party or the Libertarian Party or some other third party, but you make a strategic decision that, okay, my vote is going to count better if I vote for a Democrat or Republican, and that might prevent the person that you really dislike from getting into office. Absolutely. And for people, uh, we discussed this a bit last year. You came on the show last year as well. Tell people about your Hall of Fame projection system and how you created it and what tweaks you continue to make to it. Absolutely. So this is the sixth year that I'm doing my Hall of Fame projections, which is pretty crazy. Um, I just kind of started, I think you kind of hear a similar story from people like Ryan Thibodeau and and people who in these kind of, uh, you know, citizen uh, ballot watchers who just kind of come onto the scene and say, hmm, this is interesting. I want to explore this further or whatever. And, and it was back in 2013 that I really discovered that uh, in these public ballots that Ryan and then before him, Darren Viola at uh, Baseball Think Factory were collecting were not always accurate, but they were inaccurate in a very consistent and predictable way. Um, so specifically, obviously, players like Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, uh, steroid users, and also players whose cases are best understood through advanced statistics, like Mike Messina or last year, Tim Raines, um, those players always drop off by a significant amount from the public ballot to the final vote tallies. Um, similarly, on the other side of the coin, you have, quote unquote, gritty players, uh, players who are better understood through old school statistics, wins, saves, uh, you know, 3,000 hits, uh, plateaus, um, those players tend to get a boost uh, from the private ballots to the final vote. So this year, those are players like Omar Vizquel and Trevor Hoffman. And so basically, I you know, whipped up an Excel spreadsheet, um, took kind of tried to quantify how much each player increases or decreases every year, um, fine-tuned it a little bit, and I came up with my model. And my model basically looks at how much each player gained or lost from public to private ballots over the last three years, takes the average of that, and then applies that adjustment to their current voting. And, uh, and that's how you get my uh, projections for the most part. We'll just go down the ballot. We'll look at each other's uh, numbers. I don't have a model per se, but I do release my predictions every year and continue to update them. I used to just release predictions and then leave it alone. But then I was like, oh, it's more fun to update them as they go along. So I started doing that, I think, three years ago. Uh, There are no major uh, discrepancies between the two of us, but we'll go down and we'll take a look. The first player that we both have clearing 95% comfortably is Chipper Jones. We're recording this on Tuesday the 23rd, by the way. At current recording, there are 217 ballots in the tracker. This is after the ES. ESPN group ballot reveal and after the USA Today group ballot reveal. We'll probably have more updates later and certainly more before the announcement tomorrow night. But you have Chipper Jones coming in at 98.2%. I have him at 97. Really no issue, no debate with Jones. He's going to get in comfortably. I just see a small drop off between the uh, private voters coming. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, this is somebody who is easy to like, both if you're a new age statistical guy and an old school statistical guy. Uh, or non-statistical, as the case may be. I mean, yeah, there's just not going to be a lot of disagreement between public and private ballots with him. Vlad Guerrero is on 
a hell of a run here. I think he's picked up 40 votes without losing one. He has the potential to join the very small group of players who have gotten in from one year to the next by making a 20% jump. I think Louis Aparicio has the record with over 25% from one year to the next, and Barry Larkin is actually in second place, who did that a few years ago. But Vlad Guerrero has, a, has the potential here to jump well over 20%. You have him at 93, I have him at 91. He finished at 71.7 last year. Really a remarkable turnaround for Vlad. Yeah, it's it's really crazy. Uh, I think that just to add to those statistics, I think that he would set the record, if we're correct, he would set the record for a second-year player for the best percentage uh, with you know the 93 or 94%. Uh, Roberto Alomar, I think, was the previous record holder with 90% in his second year. So I'm really surprised at how quickly Vlad has shot up. I'm, I'm very pleasantly surprised because uh, uh, you know he, I, he was one of the most fun players to watch back in that era for me. And it's great to see you know practically... Uh, you know, a, a unanimous opinion that, that he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Next guy is Jim Tomey, and these are the three that for sure are going in. There's basically 0% chance that, that these three fall short. But Tomey is a guy I find interesting because before the ballot started getting revealed and before he started doing so well, I thought Tomey would get in. But when I released my initial set of predictions before any of the ballots were in the tracker, I had Tomey at around 80%. I thought a comparable player to, player to the ballot was Frank Thomas, and that was even a little imperfect as Thomas had won hardware and he had, uh, frankly, some better numbers than Tomey. But Thomas came in around 80%, so I thought that was a fair comp. Tomey is pulling well around 90%. He's actually around 92%. He's been around that territory the entire time. I think he's going to drop off a bit. I think he's going to fall short of 90%. You have him holding steady at 93-2, pleasantly surprised at how well Tommy is doing, but you think he's going to do as well on the private ballots as he is on the public? Yeah, I do. So that was an interesting one, and maybe a little surprising, but maybe it shouldn't have been. Um, so for first-year players, players who haven't appeared on a Hall of Fame ballot before, obviously my typical methodology doesn't work. You can't go back and look at how they've done in previous elections because they haven't had previous elections. So what I do for those players is I look to see who, which other candidate on the ballot their support is well correlated with uh, or against, as the case may be. And so in Tommy's case, uh, there's actually a pretty strong negative correlation with uh, Manny Ramirez voters, um, which is kind of interesting. You, know, you might, you could kind of see that you know, maybe Tommy voters would be, or the kind of voter who looks at Tommy and sees him as kind of this wholesome you know, representative of a clean game, you know, steroid free, and there haven't really been any, any whispers around Tommy. Um, and contrast that with Ramirez, who was a great slugger, you know, kind of very parallel to Tommy. Obviously, they both played in Cleveland for a long time. Um, but obviously, Ramirez did it the, the wrong way, at least that's the, the general consensus. Um, but it, it is interesting that you actually see the inverse of that as well, whereas where people who vote for Manny are actually significantly less likely to vote for Tommy. Um, I think it's something like, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but something like 82% of Manny voters are voting for Tommy, which is obviously well below his, his overall haul of, uh, of around uh, 93% in the public ballots. Um, so based on that trend, because Manny is somebody who experiences a drop from public to private ballots, you would actually expect Tommy to see an increase in private ballots. And again, if you squint, you can kind of see it. He has that, you know, good character thing and a nice smile, the cleanliness um, and clean, you know, with regard to PEDs. Um, so I do actually uh, predict him to increase. But of course, as you say, it doesn't really matter. It looks like he's safe for induction regardless. 
Trevor Hoffman looks like he's going in, but he's certainly not safe. You have him actually gaining a few percentage points, which would be great with the private ballots. He did that a little bit last year. Right now, he's right around 78%. You have him finishing just over 80. I think he's going to dip a little bit. I think he's going to dip to about 76, 76.5. I think he's right on the line, and I think he's going to dip a little bit because I worry that some of his supporters from last year have been purged, and we saw him lose three votes early on, which is crazy considering how close he is. You, you can't abandon a guy when he's at 74%, but I worry that if he loses one or two more, plus some of the voters who supported him last year get purged, he's going to be in rough shape again. That's a bold prediction, Ross. I don't know. I think Hoffman's actually one of the safer projections. I mean, currently, he's at 78% in the tracker, which looks like it's uh, kind of precarious, but I think there's very little doubt that he's going to gain on the private ballots. Uh, relief pitchers, and particularly ones with gaudy save totals, this is like catnip for private voters. Um, you've seen uh, Hoffman last year, he gained three points in the private ballots. In 2016, he gained seven points. You have Lee Smith, who had gained huge amounts. In 2016, he gained 11 points. In 2015, he gained 15 points. Um, the closers are just I think they're they're beloved by the private crowd, and really, as long as Trevor Hoffman stays above 75% in the public ballots, I don't really see a way that he is going to fall below that. The you know I'm sure that some of his supporters have been purged, but uh, it's kind of it's about proportionality, and uh, and the private votes uh, they're still going to you know some of them will some of his supporters will be purged, but there's still going to be lots of of Hoffman voters in there. And more importantly, I think there aren't going to be a lot of not Hoffman voters. And some of those guys are going to be purged as well. Let's move on to the next guy, Edgar Martinez. He's had another big jump this year. For a while, you looked like you were putting him in and your last couple updates, you've had him fall below 75%. Tell me why your system had him drop recently. Yeah, he is the you know the kind of nail biter of this year. It seems like every year there is that guy. You know, Last year it was, well, Pudge and Hoffman and Guerrero, um, and this year it's it's Edgar. I too am just shocked at how well he's been. I thought we were not going to have this conversation about whether he was going to get in this year, um, but yeah, for the longest time he was sticking right around eighty percent in Ryan's tracker. And according to my system, he's going to lose about ten points from the public to private ballots. And when you are about where we are right now, uh, where we know about half of the ballots, so half are public and half are private, that means that translates to basically a five-point drop. So he was right around 75% for a long time in my projections. It was basically on a daily basis. It would be 75.1, 74.9, and everybody, all the, the Mariners fans that follow me were uh, freaking out in my mentions. I think one of them said that he would literally have an aneurysm if Edgar didn't get in this year. Um, well, unfortunately, I have bad news for him. I hope that, uh, that you know he doesn't have an aneurysm because Edgar has fallen off. I now have him at 73%, um, which is still certainly close, and I still would not be surprised if Edgar got in this year, um, but it is definitely a low for him. And the reason, as you alluded to, is the, the uh, ballot dumps that we've seen in the last just 12 hours on Monday night and on Tuesday. Um, ESPN, USA Today, uh, they just have not warmed to Edgar. And you can certainly maybe chalk that up to East Coast bias or anti-DH bias. But uh, the reality is, I think you're you're maybe finally seeing, uh, you know, I think for a long time, the having him at 80% in the public ballots was maybe artificially inflated because a lot of those uh, people who 
uh, reported to the tracker last year hadn't weighed in yet this year, but now with the 20 or so ballots from ESPN, from USA Today, from LMB.com, we've started to see that. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if he continues to drop, but uh, but yeah, right now I have him at 73% and, and with a chance, but not a great one of getting in. I had never had him getting in, and I actually just put him over 70% recently, and he actually may drop a little bit off from that. I do think he's going to get in comfortably next year, but this I don't think is going to be the year for Edgar. Mike Mussina has had another big gain this year. It looks like he's going to gain double digits again. He's not going to get in this year, but if Mussina is in a is putting himself in a great position, really, Roy Halladay should go in next year. And I think once Halladay goes in, it's going to be difficult to keep Schilling and Mussina out. So he's looking at a few more years, but uh, you have him coming in at 62%. He's at 70% right now. He's a guy that fails the sniff test. He's going to get crushed on the public on the private ballots, rather. Tell me what your system says about Mussina. Mucina is one of the guys who drops the most from public to private ballots. And I think that that's probably just because, you know, he is, you look at war and a lot of the advanced stats and he is so clearly a Hall of Famer, um, but he, you know, didn't reach that 300 win total. Um, you know, he has that issue. He you know didn't win 20 games for the longest time. A lot of those traditional uh, benchmarks of success are, are elusive to him. He was never kind of the best pitcher on his team. I guess he was, but he wasn't seen that way with Roger Clemens and, and such, and obviously the AL East inflating his ERA. Um, he's definitely worthy, in my opinion, and I think he will get in possibly as soon as next year um, because he is somebody who appears to be gaming rapidly. And now with Edgar and uh, and you know and last year, and actually Larry Walker this year, which we'll, we'll talk about, um, I think the precedent has been set for some very large year-on-year gains, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if you see him in next year. It's interesting that you brought up Roy Halladay. I, I've seen that, you know, and certainly since he passed away, that people seem to think that he'll get in easily next year. I'm not so sure. I mean, that's a very qualitative projection, and, and I don't typically do that kind of thing, but I feel like Halliday will certainly get a healthy amount of support, but I'm not sure that he'll be a first ballot guy. I think that people will look at, at Halliday stats next to Messina's, next to Schilling's, and I think I think it's going to be very difficult for people to vote for Halliday over those two, even using traditional stats. Um, and so I think either that's going to drag Halliday down, or people will say, well, I want to vote for Roy Halliday. And I guess that means I have to vote for Mucina and Chilling. You know, Halliday, I think, has fewer wins than both of them. So, you know, there, there's kind of a bit of intellectual inconsistency there that hopefully gets sorted out uh, for the better. I hope all three of them get in. I do as well. And the interesting thing about Halliday, here's why he's different than Mucina and Chilling, even though those guys have better numbers than him. Halliday has two Cy Youngs. Halliday has the no-hitter in the postseason. Those are big moments. Those are big things. Halliday passes the sniff test and the other two yep. don't. And that's what it comes down to. And they are, they are a different generation of pitcher. And when you divide the lines and you look at the generations of pitcher... Unfortunately for Musina and for Schilling, they were born roughly around the same time as Clemens, Johnson, Pedro, and Maddox. So they are not, they right. are at best five and six of their generation. And that shouldn't exclude them from the Hall of Fame. When you draw the lines with Halliday, he is the best pitcher of his generation. As in between that Clemens, Johnson, Pedro, Clemens group, and the Kershaw, Scherzer, Granke group that we see now was Halliday, Johan Santana, CC Sabathia, Cliff Lee, Roy Oswalt. Some of those guys are just starting to hit the ballot now. And unfortunately, Santana's going to get bounced right away. But Halliday really was the best pitcher of his generation. And I think he's going to be remembered like that. I think even if he didn't die prematurely, he was going to get in on the first ballot. And honestly, I think that because he died prematurely, that will honestly help him uh, get a few more votes as well. Yeah, I certainly hope you're right.
Next up, of course, are the uh, controversial, the most controversial players on the ballot, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. They're both around 63. The gruesome twosome. They're both around 63% right now. Uh, we both have them dropping to around 57, 56%. Not a big discrepancy between us. I still don't think they're ever going to get in. I don't think, I think at this point, they're, um, we know they're going to drop on the private ballots. They both do very well with first-time voters. I'm not convinced there's enough first-time voters going forward to actually get them in. The big question with them was going to come on year 10, which we don't know, and there's no way that any system will be able to, to factor this in. We just don't know how many voters on year 10 with them are going to say, F it. And they're just going to say, screw it, and put them in. And I have no idea, but I do think they are going to get a significant boost on that final year. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see for sure. Um yeah, I tend to agree with you. So, you know, a lot was made about this Joe Morgan letter when it came out back in the fall, basically from the Hall of Fame saying, don't let steroid users in. I think that there was the potential for that to make a difference. And I'm not sure it really has. What I think it has done is really calcified the attitudes that exist. So it seems clear at this point, um, you know, they've basically remained you know, static on the pro- public balloting. So I think the people who had already made up their minds that they were going to vote for him, Joe Morgan wasn't going to change their minds. But for the people who maybe uh, who weren't voting for, for them, but were on the fence or were perhaps persuadable, I think the Joe Morgan letter slammed the door on that. So I tend to agree with you that they are basically, you know, my predictions basically show that they are going to be in the same place that they were last year, roughly. Um, and I think that going forward, there isn't going to be a lot of mind changing. It is going to be entirely based on the attrition of the electorate. They each have four more ballots after this one. And uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'm not convinced that either one is going to get there. Next is Kurt Schilling. You have him coming in around 54%. He's currently polling at 62%. Uh, He will see another drop off, just like Musina, for the same reasons there. He's a really interesting case, though, because he lost a ton of support last year basically because he retweeted an image advocating for the lynching of journalists. I actually thought, given the climate we're in now, he wouldn't gain his support back. Given the attack that's been on media and the fake news stuff coming from the White House, I thought Schilling, being an open supporter, Mm -hmm. would really suffer from that. And uh, the people who abandoned him last year would not vote for him again. He has picked up a lot of the votes he lost, but I do think he would be comfortably over 60% had he, uh, if he wasn't such a buffoon. I agree with that. I think that uh, Schilling has maybe, I think it was, it was clear last year that for a lot of those voters who were taking him off their list, that it was just a one-time slap on the wrist. I think Schilling has also been maybe a little bit less quiet. I mean, obviously, Hall of Fame voting happened a couple months after the 2016 election last year. It was a very charged time. You know, not to say that this isn't also a charged time, but Schilling himself has been quieter. Um, he, I think, wisely, in my opinion, passed on a Senate bid in my home state of Massachusetts that he was openly uh, thinking about going for. And if he had been a candidate for office, I think certainly you would have seen some more comments from him and maybe his percentage would have continued to shrink. But, but yeah, instead, uh, you know, he he was at uh, 52% back in 2016 and then he dropped at 45% last year. And then my projection this year has him at 54%, so basically going right back where he came from. So yeah, I think this didn't cause any long-term damage to him, but clearly what it did is what is slowed his momentum. He basically, you know, if this was, is the game, sorry, you know, he lost a turn or maybe two turns. So he just burned up two more years of his eligibility, which, you know, will maybe, uh, could be the difference maker. But I kind of think that he'll get in eventually. Um, you know, he still has, uh, you know, a 
good amount of time Sakir's left, I think. So uh, I think that he might make it. But yeah, he, he's not doing himself any favors. Yeah, Schilling has four years left after this one. Losing two turns is significant. He was always on the Blylevin path to get in. He was going to get in late. If he just gained 5% each year in those two turns, he could be at 65% by the end of the cycle, which, you know, given next year, could have put him in next year or certainly the year after. So I do think he hurt himself big time with that, and he's going to put himself right on the line of getting in. But I do think he will clear it again, especially after Halliday goes in. But next up is one of the most interesting guys on the ballot is Larry Walker, Walker saw yep. a mini spike last year, and he's seeing a big spike this year. What do you think's the cause of that? I really don't know. Um, I, I feel like that's almost like beyond my pay grade. I, clearly, people are are giving him a second look, and maybe it's I don't know. I, you know, I think they're you know with with people like maybe Trammell off the ballot. Uh, you know, I don't know Tim Raines even. I don't know. There's there's kind of maybe this gap for people looking for the next. Uh, cause to uphold, and Larry Walker is certainly a a good uh, good cause. I mean, he's you know probably he's, he's clearly, in my opinion, you know one of the ten best players on the ballot. You know, he could hit. Uh, he played great defense. Really underrated. Um, but it's such a huge spike. I mean, it's it's virtually unprecedented. It's hard to to imagine that. And to be having this conversation, you know, he is currently in his eighth year of eligibility, so he has two more years and he may actually have a shot now because like I said earlier, people like Edgar and Vlad are showing that these huge year over year increases are not impossible. Uh, So the very fact that we might be talking in two years from now about whether uh, Larry Walker will make the hall of fame is pretty remarkable. And at the very least, I think if he finishes at, you know, ages off the ballot at maybe 60%, which seems incredibly possible and likely. Um, I think he's the kind of guy who's going to be appreciated by the Veterans Committee and uh, and could get in via the trammel path. So um, so I'm optimistic for him in the long run. and uh, glad to see this huge spike in support. Yeah, and even clearing 50% for him would be a significant milestone. Everyone that's cleared 50% has mm-hmm. eventually gotten in via the fighters themselves or via the Veterans Committee. The only exception there is Gil Hodges. Mm-hmm. He had some weird circumstances as to why he spiked over 52. But uh, I, I think it's he's just run out of time. He's basically going to need to gain 18% two years in a row to get in. And that coupled what he did this year, that kind of run is unprecedented. I don't see him getting it, but I do see him getting over 60%. So good for him there. Yeah, I, I think... I, I... I think it is possible. It certainly is unlikely. It's a tall order, but uh, but I think he can do it. The other interesting thing about Walker, sorry, that I was uh, going to mention is that he's actually one of the candidates who in my model is liked equally just about by the private ballots as well as the public ballots. So I think that could really help him. He's not a guy like Musina um, or Bonds or Clemens who's really struggling against the force of gravity to get in. Absolutely. And the private ballot darling this year is going to be Omar Vizquel. Vizquel currently polling at 31%. You have him getting around 33. He could honestly do better than that. I have him coming in at 33 too. It wouldn't surprise me if he got to 35. Vizquel, I think there's going to be a very high crossover between Vizquel supporters and Lee Smith supporters. Lee Smith peaked at 50. I think he he, he dwindled down to 28% as the ballot got a little crowded. But Omar Vizquel is going to do very, very well among the private ballots. What do you think? Yes, I think that's absolutely true. So again, he's another first-time candidate, which is always a little bit trickier for my model because it's taking an extra step of supposition. Um, but with Vizquel, the trends are clear. Pretty much all of his correlations, you know, he correlates well with those players who are going to increase on the ballot, um, and he correlates 
uh, you know, strongly negatively with the players who we know are going to drop by a lot. Uh, so his strongest correlation is with Barry Bonds. And to just give you a sense, um, Bond voters who, you know, again, are kind of these more forward thinking, stat savvy, uh, more forgiving when it comes to PEDs voters, um, they're voting for Vizquel at a rate of 21% so far. Whereas the non-Bonds voters, so the more quote-unquote conservative voters, half of them are voting for Vizquel. Um, so that's a huge percentage. And if you, you know, you assume that there are going to be a lot of hidden Bonds uh, haters in the private ballots, if half of those people are voting for Vizquel, he has the potential to jump a lot. My projection is that he's going to vote jump by almost five points in the in the private ballots. But as you say, it could easily be more. Uh, you know, those first time candidates, there's always the the risk for a higher margin of error in my model. The next three guys on the ballot: Manny Ramirez, Fred McGriff. Jeff Kent are all kind of stuck. Manny is on his second year. This is McGriff's ninth year. Uh, Kent, I think, is uh, mm-hmm. this is his fifth year. Those guys are suffering from the 10 slot limit, and they're also stu- uh, suffering from strategic balloting. Those guys are uh, they're going to drop a little bit. Kent's actually going to see a, a fairly significant drop, though he never had a chance anyway. And uh, those guys are just stuck in ballot purgatory. There's not uh, they're not getting in, and they're not falling off, and they're just kind of taking up space as we uh, as we go along right here. Any comments on them? Yeah, exactly. No, I, I, you know, I think that, you know, when, if anybody's listening to this who actually has a Hall of Fame vote and is interested in strategic voting, you know, these are the guys to leave off your ballot. Unfortunately, they are, you know, not really in danger of dropping off, but they are not going to get in anytime soon. Um, McGriff is interesting because he last year became, uh, really the darling of, uh, of private voters. And it, it'll be interesting to see if Vizquel takes that title from him or if they'll kind of both continue forward. But last year, McGriff gained 13 points on on private votes from public votes, which was frankly shocking to me. It was actually one of the biggest uh, misses of my model last year. Uh, Typically, he is more popular on private votes, but but only by a little bit. Um, So I'm projecting a pretty big gain for him. But yeah, I mean, he's clearly going to age off the ballot. And at this point, there's not much of a point in voting for him, in my opinion. I completely agree. It looked like Scott Rowland might be in jeopardy briefly, but he is around 12%. You think he's going to stay there? So do I. He's an interesting guy. As long as he can stay on the ballot for the next few years, he could have a Walker-like surge when he's on his year four, five, and six in the ballot as things uh, clear up a little bit. I do think like Rowland will surge, but he is going to be stuck in that uh, 10 to 20% territory for a while as well. What do you think about him? Yeah, I think that he, uh, he'll he continue to increase. Uh, he, for me, is also one of the 10 best players on the ballot, actually. Uh, so I think that as more uh, you know, younger voters who are, have that grasp of advanced stats um, get uh, get the votes, they think that they will, that Roland's going to steadily increase. He's a guy who I think if he had 15 years would probably make it in. Uh, with 10 years, there's a little bit more of a question, but I definitely think that he is going to increase year over year. He's definitely safer this year. I think basically it's mathematically certain at this point. He has 26 votes in the tracker. And even if he has no additional votes, there would need to be uh, 520 total votes for that to be less than 5% of the total. So, So he is safe for sure, which is great to see because I think he is one of the best players on this ballot. He would definitely make my 10 if I had a ballot and was restricted to 10. He would be on my ballot for sure. The next three guys are similar to the Ramirez, McGriff, and Kent territory. We're looking at Sheffield, Sosa, and Wagner. Obviously, Sheffield and Sosa have the PED stain against them. Billy Wagner, this is his second year on the ballot. He's going to drop a little bit too. Those are three guys who, again, with the strategic ballot, you should be thinking about 
dropping. And people have already mailed in their ballots at this point, but those are guys who are going to stay on but are not going to get in. And um, if you're looking to get more people in, if you want to add Hoffman, if you want to clear up the ballot a little bit, those are three guys that could easily be dropped as they are not, they have no chance of getting in and they are unlikely to fall off. Uh, yes and no. I mean, I suppose, I suppose that's true. They are, they are definitely unlikely to fall off. You know, you're kind of maybe playing with fire a bit because they're at 10%, which is close to 5%. But, you know, again, because we know, you know over half of the public ballot or over half of the ballots at this point, we can be pretty sure that that, that 10, 10% they have currently is going to be at least 5% of the eventual total. Um, but I mean, I would, you know, personally, I would actually support all three of them. I think that they deserve some movement. I think Wagner in particular, actually, I think it's going to be really interesting to uh, to watch his case going forward, because once you have Trevor Hoffman go in this year, once you have Mariano Rivera go in next year, you know, I think that Rivera is clearly head and shoulders above everybody else. But I actually think personally that uh, that Wagner has a better chance or a better case uh, for the Hall of Fame than uh, than uh, Wagner than Hoffman does. I think that you know, Hoffman has the saves, but Wagner was just more dominant. I think if you look on a uh, kind of a pound by pound basis, uh, so I actually wrote this up for the Hardball Times a few years ago, and Wagner has, if you kind of go inning by inning, um, Wagner produced more war than Trevor Hoffman did. Um, he was also more valuable in leverage, and uh, he has a much lower ERA, a 231 career ERA. Um, and he's got the, his 1.00 whip is the second lowest in baseball history, uh, with, among pitchers with at least 500 innings pitched. And he also, uh, has amazingly the highest strikeout rate of all time, 33.2%. Um, so this is an absolutely dominant pitcher. And once I think Hoffman and Rivera are in, people are going to have to take a very close look at the standards for the relief pitchers. And hopefully they're going to say, you know what, the one inning, one inning closer is a new position in this game. We need to enshrine the best of those. And if Hoffman is in, Wagner should certainly be in, in my opinion. So he's somebody that I would advocate people to take a closer look at going forward. Um, And uh, yeah, Uh, I think on the subject of Sheffield and Sosa, it's interesting because my model actually projects them to increase with the private ballots. And I think this is an interesting phenomenon down toward the bottom and maybe sheds a little bit of nuance on those private ballots is that in many cases they are anti-steroid, but it's a little bit selective. Um, you know, they can forget those things subjectively if they want to prioritize other other things. They uh, A lot of these ballots, kind of to put it charitably, can seem to be a bit haphazard. Um, you know, there'll be maybe five, uh, you know, five name ballots and they'll vote for, you know, a Trevor Hoffman and a Jim Tomey and a Trevor Jones, but then they'll throw in kind of quote unquote random names like Gary Sheffield and Sammy Sosa. That's not uncommon to see. And I think it may ultimately be, and I'm editorializing here, be that, uh, that a lot of these voters just don't put the same depth into their thought process as, uh, as the public ballots do, uh, knowing that they're going to be publicly scrutinized. And so, um, yeah, and interestingly, I do see both Sheffield and Sosa doing better than their current totals on the private ballots, which of course means that they will uh, comfortably surpass the 5% this year. Andrew Jones is the last player we'll discuss. He is at 6%. He That's obviously within range. He could fall off. He could get 5%. We both think he's going to stay on. You, for a while, actually thought he was going to do significantly better on the private ballots. You have him just hovering around the same now, coming in at 6.1%, which is basically the same thing. But you had him for a while at 8%. You thought he would tick up. Tell me why your system liked him on the private ballots. Yeah, exactly. So um, that you know, I, I've gotten more and more nervous about Andrew over the years. And I, again, he's another player who I would vote for, I think, if I had a ballot. 
Um, for early on in, in the season when we didn't have as many Andrew votes, uh, his support was negatively correlated with Mike Messina, um, which meant in Messina being one of the players who drops off the most on private ballots, that meant according to my system, that Andrew would get a pretty significant gain on the private ballot, um, which kind of makes sense because uh, Andrew in many ways is a uh, Omar Vizquel type, you know, defense first, uh, you know, but he obviously hit better than Vizquel did. Um, so yeah, so for a long time, I had him getting a big boost and approaching 10% in the total, in the final tallies. Um, but as we've gotten a larger sample size, it's become clear that that's, that was a bit of a mirage. He now correlates the best with Jeff Kent. And Jeff Kent is a guy who doesn't really see a significant difference between public and private ballots. So for a similar reason, Andrew Jones is uh, is projected to do about the same, about the 6% that he has currently on the public ballots. But when you're dealing with such a small sample size, when, you know, there are still 200 ballots out there and, you know, you're looking for, you know, when one ballot can make the difference between being on there being above 5% and not being above 5%, that's something that honestly should scare a lot of Andrew fans. You know, it, it could very easily, he could very easily slip low and then poof, oh, there he, he's going to be gone. Um, so while my projection currently is that he will stay on with 6%, um, it's, it's not very high confidence and I would not be surprised either way. Yeah, he might be in the same position that Jim Edmonds and Kenny Lofton, even Bernie Williams, found themselves in. Great players exactly. all got bounced right away. That's a bummer for him. Four other players have received votes. Johnny Damon, Johan Santana, Hideki Matsui, and Jamie Moyer. I Did someone vote for Kerry Wood? Did he get a vote yet? I don't know. But those four do have votes, and none of them are going to get in. None of them are going to get uh, to 5%. Uh, they'll all get bounced this first year. All good players, but uh, tough to make a case for any of them as top 10 on the ballot, though I do wish Johan got a closer look. You think any of those guys should be in? Would you vote for any of those? guys i wouldn't personally vote for any of those guys i do you know the thing about johan it's funny i mean like i he's the kind of guy who you're like yeah like he should he deserves a closer look and he maybe doesn't deserve you know the same you know fate as you know carrie wood or you know francisco cordero um you know to be flashed from the ballot after one year he's clearly superior to those players but ultimately it's you know i yeah you kind of have to take a pulse hard view of the fact and if you don't think johan santana is a hall of famer as i do not um, ultimately, it's for the best that he falls off the ballot because if he stays on, he's just going to sit up from there, clog the ballot the way that, you know, a Jeff Kent, a Manny Ramirez, Sammy Sosa is doing. Um, and it's just going to make things harder for candidates in the future. So unfortunately, I think a, a merciful demise is the best thing for everyone, except for Santana, obviously. Um, you know, he was a great player. Ultimately, I don't think he had the longevity um, to make it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I actually would put him in, even though he wasn't uh, didn't have the longevity. I think I am the guy that's like, I, I, I'm not going to put in Hoffman or Wagner or Lee Smith, who I think will actually, going back to Wagner for a minute, I think Lee Smith is going to go on the Veterans Committee ballot next year. He has a good chance of getting in. And if Lee Smith yep. gets in, that will, yeah, help, I think so that will help Wagner's exactly. case significantly. Yep. But I, I think if Santana was put in a position where he was a closer, I think he would have been the, one of the best closers ever. I think if Lee Smith or Trevor Hoffman or Billy Wagner were put in a position where they would be starters, they could not have done what Santana did. So I, I do think even though Santana pitched twice as many innings as those guys were saying, oh, Santana didn't do it enough. I understand that Santana's borderline. I can't make a case that he is in the Schilling or Mucina territory. And I know that he falls below on war and wins above average and Jaws as well. But I will say this with wins above replacement and with Jaws with modern players, 
I think that number is falling short, especially when you're comparing them to um, you know players of past generations because they're not pitching as many innings. I think modern pitchers, we're going to have to reevaluate how we handle them when it comes to the Hall of Fame. And I think Johan falling off is going to be another example of that. We saw it with David Cohn and Brett Saberhagen. Both got one and done. Uh, Earl Hershiser, I think, made it two ballots. He's a guy that deserved a lot closer look too. So I do think we're going to have to reevaluate how we handle pitchers going forward. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I think, you know, if you look at kind of today's game, obviously you have, you know, Clay Kershaw, who would basically, you know, if he retired today, would be a Hall of Famer. But uh, if the Hall of Fame is meant to represent each era, um, you're kind of in trouble because who who from this age currently playing uh, is going to be a Hall of Fame starting pitcher. I mean, after uh, after Kershaw, you're getting down to names like, Sebastia and Verlander, who maybe people don't really think of as Hall of Famers, but maybe should be because of that dropping standard. Like you said, people just don't, starting pitchers don't throw as many innings uh, as they used to. And I think that that is a reckoning. So I think maybe you're right that maybe in five, 10 years, we're going to look back and say, oh, you know what, Johan Santana should have, should have made it. Um, so I'm definitely open to that. But I think on the same side of the coin, I think if you're going to reevaluate the standards for starting pitchers, you also have to reevaluate the standards for relief pitchers. And I do think it's a different position. And that's why I think that, uh, that Hoffman and Wagner and obviously Rivera, um, all do have a place there. Um, you know, I think what you said is probably right, but, uh, ultimately the hall of fame is about rewarding what actually happened and not, you know, potential. And obviously Johan had a lot of potential, but, um, you know, injuries and, you know, and maybe getting yanked around between the bullpen and, and starting rotation early in his career, um, you know, that, that robbed him of, it, uh, of, of, a, of a better career, uh, perhaps unfairly. You've been listening to Nathaniel Rakich. You can give him a follow on Twitter at BaseBallot. Nathaniel, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Thanks so much, Ross. I had a great time.